So we are continuing our series on the life of Joseph. And I think we were here two weeks ago. Now we find Joseph, he's still in Potiphar's house. And I don't think we talked about this in much detail a couple of weeks ago. Potiphar was the captain of the king's guard, which basically means Potiphar was the chief of police. If there is one man whom you don't want to be accused of rape of in his household, that will be Potiphar's house, because Potiphar was the chief of police. We'll get to that a little bit later. We find Joseph in Potiphar's house as a servant. And let's jog our memories. This is the first time Joseph is outside of his father Jacob's house. And as we remember, Joseph lived a life of privilege, right? All his brothers were out there tending the flock of their father, while Joseph was given a rainbow color coat. And he was, you know, that coat clearly showed that he was his father's favorite. Arguably, I don't think Joseph really lived a life of hard labor until he was in Potiphar's house. This is his first stint outside of his father's house, and this is a drastically different reality than what he was used to. I think, um, I think like, there's this really popular TV show called Pachinko. Do you guys know this? It's, an, it's on Apple TV. I'm just a poor pastor, so I don't have Apple TV. But for those of you who are rich, maybe you have Apple TV. Pachinko is a story of Koreans who lived during the Japanese occupation of Korea in the 1940s. Okay, so a little brief history lesson. Japan occupied Korea for, for, for years, right, until World War, II, World War II ended. So Joseph, so there's this character in that show and her name was Pokey, I think. Pokey? Pokemon, right? And what Pokey was, and Pokey was, she, she was the daughter of a very rich Korean guy. And she was rich. She, she never had to work a day in her life. But when the Japanese came to her town and confiscated all their father's property, overnight, Pokey became incredibly poor. So poor, she had to move out of her hometown in Korea, and she went to an island in Japan to work. That island was an incredibly poor island, to a point where it says only Koreans and pigs live in that island, because it was so poor. In that island, Pokey, who never worked a day in her life, started or operated a laundry service. And that was, that was in the 1940s, so it wasn't like a laundromat where you just operate laundry machines. She had to clean other people's clothing by hand. And this is her confession during her, in, in that show. She said, I never had to work with my hands before coming here. This is a new reality. I am not used to this hardship. 
I'm so scared, I don't know what to do. Joseph is in a similar situation. The rainbow coat-wearing dude is a slave in an Egyptian's house. Just think about that. For you parents, right? I know you really love your parents. You really love your kids. I, I really, I, I, I know that. Imagine your child. Imagine my daughter or my son landing, becoming a slave in someone else's household. It is unthinkable. So the temptation for Joseph is he can get bitter, right? He could be scared, just like Poki, right? He could, you know, he could possibly maybe entertain the thought of suicide, right? He could be trapped in self. He could wallow in darkness because where he is is a very depressing state of, state of, state of affairs. A little bit of adult truth. Just because you belong to God, it doesn't mean he exempts you from placing you in difficult, dark situations. Just because you belong to him, he's not going to just lead you to sunshiny places without any without any difficulties or concerns, concerns of life. On the contrary, if you belong to God, he will often take you to dark places. You don't hear this sermon during, you know, for a prosperity gospel preacher, you don't hear this truth from him, but that's the truth. So Joseph is in a dark place. But Joseph is not bitter. Joseph goes to work. My type of guy. He doesn't wallow in misery. He doesn't wallow in the wine meanness. He doesn't wallow in the depression. He goes to work as a servant in Potiphar's house. Not only does he go to work, he becomes the guy. The man, and he, he's so good at what he does. And God blesses him with, with his labor that soon Potiphar recognizes Joseph's giftedness. How is that possible? Why was Joseph able to go to work and not dwell in darkness? He was able to do this, I think, because Joseph knew his identity. Joseph, was, Joseph knew who he was. During the dark times of life, what will get you out of the dark times is your identity. Is knowing who you really are. And who did Joseph see? Who, who does, what did Joseph know about himself? Joseph knew he was a servant of God. Joseph knew more than anything else, at his core being, he was God's servant. He belonged to God. He was an agent of God. Agent, agent of God? God's agent. God's agent. And it doesn't matter where God placed him. Joseph knew 
God was with him. His core identity was the fact that he was a servant of God and he does what God calls him to do. For some reason, by God's grace, by God's mercy, little young Joseph knew that. And that is why Joseph could go to work. What will bring you out of darkness during those difficult times? Only your understanding of who you are in God will bring you out of darkness. Not psychotherapy. I guess there's a place for that. Not self-help books. I guess there may be a place for that. Those things will not really cure you of the dark times as much as having a sure foundation of who you know as a person. Joseph knew he belonged to God and he was a servant of God. Joseph's life foreshadows Christ. He's a Christ figure in the Old Testament. Meaning you can look at meaning you can look at the traces of Jesus. Joseph's life reveals certain parts of Jesus Christ. What Joseph's life reveals about Christ is that Christ himself is a servant. Listen to me carefully. The God that you purported to worship is a servant God. I was meditating upon, you know, it's Lent. Today is Palm Sunday, right? So I was was meditating upon the chapters of Luke that deal with the final weeks of Jesus' life. And what struck me this week as I was meditating upon scriptures is that Jesus refers himself as the son of man. Jesus, there's, there are, you know, titles that Jesus refers to himself, but the most common title that Jesus refers to himself is that he refers to himself as the son of man. What does that mean when Jesus refers to himself as the son of man? There's a, it's a very complex theological phrase what this term means. But one of the meanings of the Son of Man is that Jesus is a bodily, the man Jesus who lived 2,000 years ago, he is the bodily embodiment of who God is. Among many definitions of the Son of Man, one of the definitions, according to Colossians chapter 2, is that Jesus Christ The man Christ, the human Christ 2,000 years ago, is a bodily embodiment of the fullness of God. God himself lived as a man, lived as man Jesus 2,000 years ago. And this son of man, this embodiment of God, more than anything else, is a servant Matthew chapter 20, verse 20, Matthew chapter 20, verse 23, Jesus said, the son of man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. Jesus Christ, when he defines himself, he says, I have not come into the world to be served, but I have come into the world to serve, to be a ransom for many. We want God to do things for us. We think we're entitled to ask God to do things for us. 
God, do this for me, do that for me. Jesus is saying, I'm the opposite of that. I did not come into the world for God to do things for me. I come into the world to serve. He came into the world to obey the Father's will, to be the ransom for his people. He came into the world to give his life up for the sinners so that the sinners will be saved. He came to life to give and serve and die. That is who our God is. Jesus Christ received the highest glory after his death and resurrection because he obeyed God perfectly. The basis of Jesus' glory after his resurrection is because he obeyed God's law, God's will, perfectly. That's the basis of his glory, his obedience and service. Joseph was able to endure the darkness because he knew he was a servant of God. That foreshadows Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ, the God that you purport to worship, more than anything else, is a servant. Do you know that? Because he's a servant, he calls his followers to be servants. Jesus said, what did he say? Who are the greatest in the kingdom of God? Those who serve, he says. Jesus Christ, the night before he was crucified, showed his disciples how, what kind of leadership, what kind of servants they will be. What did he do to show, what did he do to tell his, show his disciples what kind of leader they should be? Jesus watched the feet of his disciples. Jesus says, if you are my servants, if you belong to me, that's the life you're going to live. Washing each other's feet. My friends, if you belong to Jesus Christ, more so than anything else, you're a servant. It's never me, my, my. It's never make me comfortable, make me happy, make me successful. That's contrary to the spirit of Christ. Jesus is a servant, and he calls you, if you belong to him, he calls you to be a servant in every facet of his life. Look, I had this realization a couple of weeks ago. A couple of weeks ago, like, for those of you who don't know, I'm a lawyer by day, right? I'm a superhero pastor by night. I'm a lawyer by day, right? And so, 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 that particular two weeks ago, it was just incredibly intense labor. Like people were just, things were blowing up and paralegals were making mistakes and partners were demanding and clients were knocking at my door and cases needed to be filed. Oh, my lanta. It was like I was in a, like, like a tornado. Everything was spurring around me. That was Thursday. On Friday, I took a walk, and I said, Lord, I'm kind of bitter. Why do I have to do this? Can't my church give more so I don't have to do this? 
Why do I have to do this? And I feel the Lord speaking to me. How many lives have you touched yesterday? Maybe 20, 30 people's lives in various forms? You are getting a taste of what I do. I was complaining because I was like complaining about dealing with 20, 30 people's cases. The Lord deals with 7 billion people. Not only that, every facet of creation the Lord deals with. He serves the Lord's hand is everywhere. He serves everyone. He is busy serving. And I got a glimpse of his service. And I go, oh. Having understood that, I start to thank God for the busyness. I start to thank God, really, for the people that I get to serve. I thank God for the people who yelled at me. I thank God for the paralegals who don't get it. I thank God for the many clients who are being difficult. I thank God because I get to experience the way God serves the world. Christian, your calling in your job, in your families, and especially in this church, is that of a servant. Your calling, your purpose in this short life here is that you serve and you die. Very dramatic, but true. You don't live so that you can retire happily out in the plains somewhere. You live to serve, to give of yourself. And die and receive glory when you die. If you're a Christian, my friends, you're a servant. How you serve in life will determine the, what kind of crown you get in eternity. April is a crew month for parents because in April, college results come out, TJ results come out, right? Graduate school acceptance come out. I didn't know, but, right? So evidently it is. So this past week, like, people that I know, their kids, you know, some parents were upset because their kids didn't get to UVA, right? For those of you out of town, UVA is like the school to go to in Virginia, right? Some parents were upset their kids didn't get into UVA. Some kids, some parents got upset that got was upset because their kids got into UVA. Go figure, because they thought their kids were destined for, for greater things. Maybe not. I don't know, right? And they, they, they were like, like heartbroken because like their kids were like, you know, they didn't make it. And I was listening to them, and I was like kind and nice, and I go, oh, I'm, I'm so sorry. Maybe next time, right? But in my mind, I said, why does this matter? The thing that you hold on to that seems so important, like UVA. When you die, these things instantly will no longer matter, will cease to cease to matter. That's what Jesus says, do not lay your treasures upon the earth. Because the things that you live for, the treasures that you occupy in this world, they will be just 
gone the moment you die. The money, the whatever that you live for, I don't know what you live for, but all these things that you live for instantaneously when you die, and trust me when I say you will die, they will disappear like that. You know what will remain forever? It's how you served. God will remember how you served. And to quote Maximus and Gladiator, your service will echo in eternity. What you will be remembered, what I will be remembered is how I served. Nothing else. You're a servant. Amen? I don't think you're convicted. Let me continue. Just because you're a servant, and if you're a God's servant, you're a servant, it doesn't mean the servants are not tempted. Joseph was a servant, and boy, was he tempted. Especially if you're a servant of God, you'd be tempted. If you're not a servant of God, Satan will probably leave you alone because you're not a threat. Right? Satan will go, at a boy, at a girl, good job. Yay. Satan will cheer for you. But if you're a servant of Christ, oh, he'll come after you. The world will come after you. Your flesh will come after you. And that's what happened to Joseph. Joseph. Working in Potiphar's house. Joseph, it says, it says in verse 6, he was fine in form and appearance, which means he had a good face and he he has a built body. And he was 17. Ponder that for a little bit. He was handsome, well-built, and young. Right? Like, um, you see Korean boy bands, like middle-aged women going crazy over Korean boy bands. Similar thing, I would imagine. Mrs. Potiphar, she says, cast her eyes on him. The word cast means looking longingly. Dudes, the way dudes look at a steak when it comes out of the grill you cut it, and just the right pink in the middle. Oh, you guys know what I'm talking about. That longing. Oh, Joseph was a piece of meat to Mrs. Potiphar. And Mrs. Potiphar said to Joseph, lie with me. Modern translation, have sex with me. Whoa! Where's the romance? Just straight up. Sleep with me. A little bit of background. It says Egyptian women, especially Egyptian women of high class during Joseph's time, they were known for their promiscuity. Egyptian women during this time, in Mrs. Potiphar's situation, it was very, very common for them to cheat on their wives, cheat on their husbands. And perhaps Mrs. Potiphar thought it was her right to cheat on 
you know, cheat on Mr. Potiphar because everyone else was doing it. Mrs. Potiphar asked Joseph, have sex with me, sleep with me. Let's just think about that phrase. Let's think about what she's doing. Lie with me, sleep with me. That phrase, there is no consideration, right? Number one, of her husband. Where is her husband in that equation? He doesn't exist. Where is her consideration for Joseph's humanity and the potential danger that she'll place Joseph in if she goes through with it? Because let's, be, let's, be, let's, re, let's remember, her husband is the chief cop of the king. Where is her consideration for Joseph's safety? It wasn't there. It was just her raw desires that she says that, that told her, that compelled her to, say, to tell Joseph to sleep, sleep with her. That is what she says reveals the nature of sin. Sin, when you, when you sin, when we sin, it's horrible because we have no consideration of the humanity of the person that we're sinning against. What makes sin so horrible and so offensive and so wrong is we're erasing, eradicating, destroying someone's humanity either through our lust, whether through our anger, through our gossip, through our judgments, through our lies, whatever it is. These things that we do, transgressing against another human being is we are trampling their humanity. That's exactly what Mrs. Potiphar was doing. No consideration of the humanity of her husband or Joseph. Just raw desire. I want it. I want it. I want it. Do you think it was easy for young Joseph to resist Mrs. Potiphar's temptation? Guys, men, Joseph is 17. Remember when you were 17, guys? Do you think it's easy for Joseph, a 17-year-old Joseph, to resist sexual temptation? I would imagine Mrs. Potiphar was a beautiful woman. Because people in power during those times often marry beautiful women. Guys, you know the pull of lust in your, in your life. You know it. You know the voice that says, hey, come here, take a visit. You know the pull, man. But Joseph resists. What was secret, what was secret, what was, how was Joseph able to resist? By God's grace, number one, Joseph was able to resist her temptation, number one, because Joseph never forgot who he was, where he was. Joseph never lost objectivity. How do you know? This is when, when Mrs. Potiphar says, sleep with me, this is what Joseph says. Behold, because of me, 
my master has no concern about anything in the house. And he has put everything that he has in my charge. He is not greater, he is not greater in this household than I am, but has kept back anything and has not kept back anything from me except you. Why Joseph telling Mrs. Potiphar basically his resume, his work history? It's because Joseph never lost objectivity of who he is as a person. He has Mrs. Potiphar. I am your husband's servant. Mrs. Potiphar, your husband has put me, trust me, put me in charge of any, many things. When Joseph says, I am not, he, Potiphar is not greater than him in, in, in his household. Joseph means in this household, my master has given me all authority. Joseph had a level head, objectivity about who he was. We give in to sin, we give in to lust when we betray our objective, clear understanding of who we are and we, and we follow our lust. By God's grace, Joseph didn't lose his head over his desires. When we often follow our desires, it is, and, we, and then everything is ruined, and we, when we wake up from our desires, we realize, oh, man, I was so stupid of following my desires. Next example, Will Smith. Let's talk about Will Smith. The moment he slapped Chris Rock's face in the Oscars, do you think he got up the next morning and still felt good about it? Do you think he said, oh, yeah, that was a good call? Do you still think he thinks he made a good call in the Oscars? No. Will Smith realizes perhaps a few hours, perhaps, I, didn't, I don't want to be Will Smith the next day, but the very next morning, he realizes what he has done and he realizes the ruin he has caused because he couldn't hold back following his desires. I know so many pastors who overnight ruin what they built because for a moment they lost their heads and followed their desires. It is God's mercy in Joseph's life where God maintained Joseph's sanity. Clear enough so that he won't follow his desires. Why do we sin? Because we forget truth and objectivity and clarity about where we are, what we have, who we are. You need to ask God for that clarity in your life. The world says, you are your desires. No, it ain't. That's a lie. Don't listen to that lie where it says you are your desires. You're not your desires. You're more than your desires. You are where, who God has created, created, how God has created you, and you are where God has created you to be. Never lose a sense of objectivity. That's the way you fight sin. When you lose that objectivity, 
It will ruin you. How did Joseph fight temptation number two? Joseph knew sinning is basically sinning against the Lord. He said, how can I do this wicked sin against the Lord? What made Joseph able to fight the lust and the sin is because the Lord God was a personal God to him. To Joseph, God wasn't a theory. God wasn't a Sunday school lesson. God was not a religious observation that you do once a week. God is not this culture that you were raised with. No, no, no. For Joseph, God was a living God who is intricately involved in every facet of his life. God is a person to Joseph. And sinning and doing this is sinning against this holy person of God. How do you fight sin in your life? God has to be a living reality. He has to be a living reality. He has to be more than our cultural Christianity. He has to be more than a Sunday worship. He has to be more than what you self-identify as. It's a living reality. Is God a living reality to you? How do you know he's a living reality to you? Your prayer life will show you whether he's a living reality to you. More so than anything else, your prayer life will show you whether he's a living reality to you. Your dependence will show you whether he's a living reality to you. You're growing in your personal understanding of who God is. That will reveal whether he's a personal reality to you or not. Is he a personal reality to you? To Joseph, God was. Back to Will Smith. You know how when Will Smith slapped Chris Rock? I mean, if I was Chris Rock, I would sue. The whole world was outraged. The unbelieving world doesn't believe in objective right and wrong. They don't. There's no objective truth. Everything is meaningless. Right? That's how, that's how unbelievers, that's how... You know, unbeliever sign in my ear. Even them who says there is no objective right and wrong, they're outraged by the sin. We're outraged when, when we see sin because we're made in the image of God. And when God sees sins, he's outraged, saddened, and he's mournful. Do you know that how he responds when you sin? Paul says, do not mourn the Holy Spirit when you sin. Do not mourn him. It affects God when you sin. Joseph knew that. And that's why he didn't want to hurt, disappoint, anger God. And that is why he was able to resist temptation. Servants of God, you will be tempted. I was listening to a sermon this week, and it says, Jesus Christ, for his 33 years of life here, he was tempted every day. I think he was. If you belong to him, you will be tempted to stay bitter, to stay lustful, to stay greedy, to stay unforgiving, to stay judgmental. 
you'll be tempted. Look, that's what it says, right? After Joseph said no, what did Mrs. Potiphar do? She continually speaks to him day after day after day. That's what it says, right? What verse is that? I don't know. What, what verse is that, Joe? That's 10. That's verse 10. It's biblical, right? She says, and she spoke to Joseph day after day. That woman is relentless. Day after day speaking to him. Lie with me. Lie with me. Lie with me. Satan whispers in your ear every day. Oh, servant of God, he will whisper to you every day. You know this. Go to the website. Go to the website. Go to the website. Be unforgiving, be unforgiving, be unforgiving, be bitter, be bitter, be bitter. That person's a jerk, the person's a jerk, the person's a jerk. The person's unacceptable. He whispers, you know he whispers to you every day. Will you resist? Ask God for the clarity every day. Ask God for his personal reality every day. That's how you fight temptation. Almost done. Just because you're a servant of God, it doesn't mean that you're not tempted. And just because you're a servant of God, it doesn't mean that you're, you're, going to be, you're not going to be mistreated. Joseph did everything right, right? He was a great servant. I wish I had like a paralegal, an associate lawyer like Joseph. I really do, right? Who can just do everything and I don't have to worry about anything. People that I work with, if you're watching this, I love you. I'm really glad that I'm, you know, I, I'm glad that you're in my life. God bless you, right? But there is a, if you have a Joseph, oh my goodness, great. Joseph did everything right. When Mrs. Potiphar says, sleep with me, Joseph says, Joseph fled. But he was accused of rape. How was he accused of rape? One day, Joseph was in the house. That's funny. There's no one around. I wonder how that happened. In this big house, it's just me and Mrs. Potiphar. Hmm. I wonder how that happened. Well, whatever. Joseph started working. Mrs. Potiphar, she became really aggressive that day. She yanked Joseph's garment. Hey, sleep with me. Joseph says, Joseph doesn't even say anything. He just runs away. And maybe Mrs. Potiphar got upset because she got rejected. There's nothing like a rejected woman and the, and, and the vengeance that arose. She got so upset and angered that she told the servants of the house that Joseph started trying to rape her. And Joseph only fled because she raised her voice. When her husband, the chief of police, came, she showed Joseph's garment and says, look, your Hebrew servant that you brought in here tried to rape me. Without trial, because Potiphar was the chief of police, Joseph was put to prison. I think God's mercy that Joseph wasn't killed. Right? Potiphar could have certainly had Joseph killed. But maybe because Joseph was such a good servant, he were attached, I don't know. But Joseph was sent to prison. Joseph was falsely accused. Adult truth. Ready? Just because you serve God well, it doesn't mean that you're not going to be mistreated. It doesn't mean you're not going to get accused. 
It doesn't mean the people that you serve will appreciate you. Let's be brutally honest. In our minds, we have this fairy tale. If I serve this person, the person will come around and love me back. Oftentimes they don't. That's the, real, that's the hard truth. My mom's biggest concern, pet peeve for me, lasting last 30, 40 years, there's a person that she tried to love, difficult person that she loves. My mom says, after 30 years, why doesn't this person love me back? And I said, Mom, that's the way life goes. Just because you're obedient to God, it doesn't mean that you're not going to be falsely accused. It doesn't mean you're going to be successful. It doesn't mean that, you're not going to, that people, are, people are going to like you and open up to you. It won't mean that. That's up to God. Your calling is just to serve. That seems unfair, Pastor Jay. Why do I only have to serve? That seems unfair. It seems unfair for you, does it? Look at Jesus Christ. He was crucified. He died a horrible sinner. Crucifixion is punishment reserved for only the harshest of criminals. There is no record. If you... There's no, legally, if I look at it, there is no record that warrants Jesus to be, for Jesus to die like that. There is nothing that he did that will warrant his death like that, legally. As a lawyer, I'm telling you, there isn't. But he died. Why did he die? For the sins that he committed? No, he was the only perfect man that ever existed. The sins that we committed. He died a horrible death. God poured his wrath on him. Not for the sins that he committed. But the sins that you committed. That sounds fair to you? If you want to talk about fairness, the re- our, our salvation is the least fair thing ever. And he did it. He served and he went to the cross for us so that we may live. That's your God. And that God is telling you, go serve. Even if you get mistreated, even if they will never understand you, even if they will leave you, even if they will do all these things to you, you just serve. The rest is up to me. That seems unfair. Does it? Remember your Lord. Also remember the Lord because of his obedience. He received glory. He's not asking you to change the world. He's not even asking you to change the person that you serve. He's not. He's asking you to serve him. So that he will do his will for you. And when you do, you receive the crown of life, James says. Look, a story, I'll end with this story. My favorite story. 
is a story of a, two old missionary couples that were serving in Africa somewhere, right, in the 1920s or something. And they spent their entire life out in the missionary field. They have no savings, no pensions, no nothing. They spend their entirety of their lives out in the mission fields. They're coming back to America to retire. Because they're just old and there's nothing to give. They're on a ship with Teddy Theodore Roosevelt. You know who Teddy Roosevelt is? Say yes, please. Let me have hope in public education. Who's, who's Teddy Roosevelt, guys? All right. Thank God. Teddy Roosevelt was on that ship. Teddy Roosevelt was coming back from his wild game hunting. You know what wild game hunting is? Going to Africa with a shotgun, killing elephants. Teddy Roosevelt was on the same. They're coming back from Africa after a lifelong mission trip. Teddy Roosevelt was coming back from Africa after his hunting trip. Boat docks in New York. Mr. President is in the boat. Parades, people clapping, bands playing. Great welcome for a dude who killed elephants. And the missionary looks at that, the reception that Teddy Roosevelt got, and he complained to his wife, this isn't fair. Where is my, our reception? We gave up everything for the Lord in the fields of Africa. Where is our reception? Where is our recognition? Where is our homecoming parade as Theodore Roosevelt is receiving homecoming parade? And his wife said to the missionary, go talk to the Lord. God bless that wife. Guys, you should, guys, marry a woman like that, by the way. Tell you to go pray. And he prayed. He was really bitter. He said, Lord, I gave everything for you. Where's my welcome? And he feels the Lord saying, you're not home yet, man. Who cares about the parades? You're not home. Oh, the reception you receive when you're home, the reception that you, recognition that you get when you're home. My dear Christians, Serve the Lord. Even if that means no one will know your name by the end, it doesn't matter because he will. That's the calling of a Christian. Please don't live for yourself. Serve the Lord. Because that's who your God is. Let us pray.